Villagers, music from the legend. The one and only. One and only. Boy, brother resistance. Boy. Rest in power, brother resistance. Rest Lost a big one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rap so legend. As usual, I find myself thinking how we never seem to celebrate people when they're alive in Trinidad and Tobago. Hmm. So much this man do. Yeah, you know? and Everybody go remember him now. Everybody go yeah. play all the music. Now. I mean, when any music, eh, boy? And I mean, when you hear the music now, Torian, I mean, you feel a little special thing, eh, boy? It's you know true. what I mean? You really, the man, the man really produced that stuff. Yeah. Back to when you're six years old. You, you know what I mean? When you play that, you know that meme where they say, you know, if she ain't know that, she too young for you, bro. Yeah, touch me. If she ain't know, if she ain't know the mother, she too young for you, bro. But on a real, I played that song a long time now on Spotify. You know? You're not Spotify, yeah, I, yeah, so I just ring it yeah. out every once in a while. Yes, 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 yes. And what she hides? He dropped that song. When he dropped that song, boy, I was like ninety. Any nineties? Any nineties? But 95. what is he? What now? Now, brother, resistance was was the head of Tuco, so he would have also mm. been always um referenced in the news because of that. But what people would have overlooked is the contribution he would have made to the um overall um landscape. Um, let's see, you hearing me properly and stuff. Yeah, 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 right up, right yeah. up, right. So you know, the musical landscape was changed by the network radio band. All right, the the mm. genre of rap so. Right, as a viable art form, which would have spawned so many different acts, especially in the 90s, like Trikanala and so on, you know, which we grew up with. It, they are mm. all pro proponents of what Brother Resistance created. And Atta people, clan. yes, mm -hmm. yes, and people don't realize, um, that, th that they were looked upon just like many other artists in their formative years as a, as a nuisance, right, and, mm -hmm. as, and, and, and as pests. Per se, right? Because mm -hmm. bec be because um, 
their 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 ban practice area was was I think broken down by the police, you know. Yeah, in in the, in the seventies, and you know, the most rebels were, in their own right. Yeah, so they were like were like pioneers of of the entire like black power movement and all of that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, and um mm -hmm. and 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 you know, as in, on the musical side of things, um they they represented that part of the music that was there for for revolutionary purposes. And mm. as world beat musicians, they were recognized all over yeah. the world. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. and it's only true. then. You know, people start to watch them like, you know, with a favorable eye here. Well, people who are authority per se, you know. So it's mm -hmm. very, um, the story of Brother Resistance and Network Redemption is something that I wish we should celebrate. And I read mm -hmm. a, a post from Ruba Diri Victor, you know, who is mm -hmm. um, another person very in, um, known for his take on the culture and being mm -hmm. um, that cultural pundit, so to speak. And mm -hmm. it's it real, real eye opening, you know, the amount of. Um, impact these artists yeah. had within the community yeah, 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 yeah. that they came Freetown from. Freetown too. Freetown yeah. is a real, you know, a, a real proponent. Yeah. That kind of yes, correct, correct, correct. So without brother resistance, you will not have all of this now. You know, mm -hmm, people correct. people may not realize that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So True. we want to say, you know, condolences to the family and to the musical community. On, on Tuko and everybody on the loss of Lutalo Masimba, otherwise known as Brother Resistance. Moving on to mm -hmm. our, our monologue today. So we have another piece of very, very sad news. We have the Haitian president being assassinated. Um, hmm. it, it was very shocking, I would say, that in this day and age, we still have to hear that our um, CARICOM brothers and sisters, you know, have their their president being assassinated, you know. Mm -hmm. But 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 then again, does it really come as a surprise too to everybody yeah. when we look when we look at the, yeah. the, the political climate of of Haiti? Um, yeah, I don't know. yes, yes, they're but Haiti, unsettled. Yeah, well, that's the thing, boys. Like the 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 car that situation cast settled long, boy. And I mean, you see a lot of people. A lot of people calling because I was watching the article on CNN because it, I mean, it get bigger and they're talking about US involvement and that kind of thing. They say that the, the people who was involved with the assassinations was mainly Colombians. And a lot of the Colombians who was involved in the assassination was former uh, USDEA in, uh, informants now. You understand? So, because when, when the man come in with the original shots, he announced himself as a as a USDA agent, you know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it was a whole kind of sting operation, and then the military come in, end up shooting men, and right now it have like about seven or eight, um, the whole, and that seven or eight there now, and you know the reality is that people questioning well, because the feds involved, you understand what I'm saying? So the feds saying well, who really was 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 responsible for it, and why? So a lot of people talking, it might be drugs, it might be, um, you know, linked to the U.S. in some way. So, you know, I mean, you look at yourself as an independent nation, but, I mean, when you see things like this, is make you really wonder, eh? you understand what I'm saying, how independent are we? So, you know what so I what, mean? So, so when you say the Fed's involved, let's see, what were you, what, what, what were you, were you ready? Judge, um, the Feds you, what, have an ongoing investigation right now. 
uh, right. it, it actually come up in on Joe Rogan experience. Joe Rogan actually talked right. about it as well too, where they were saying, well, there's a lot of DE agents that might be involved in it as well too. Uh, so they're saying that, you know, it might be drugs um, that running through there and that, you know, because the guy who they say mastermind, the whole thing is a Haitian from um, Florida, Edison, a, a yeah, Florida citizen, something Edison, yeah, so yeah. A, for, a, a former Haitian, Haitian citizen. So they say he was the one who basically tried try a kind of a kind of remote corner, Edison was saying, and so... All of that get tied up in that. So right now is 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 the feds who are investigating that whole thing to see, well, who it is to bring to justice and that kind of thing. But what they finding out is some of their own people exactly. might be involved. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Listen, so I find I find that's be the case too often though. Yeah, well, you see, that's what it is going on there. You understand? But that's just to show you the heights that that is not a simple. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. not that assassination is a simple thing, but. You know, it just showed the external, the external forces involved in the whole thing now. Right? Uh, you and, you know, and it, it makes it, it makes you wonder what, what kind of external forces were at play with, with, the, with the last assassination we had here with Dina Sita Haaland uh, as well. Because that's right. That's up right. To now, and, up to now, and up to now, we cannot get any closure on that, you know? That is just yeah. something that will always be a stain um, on that's our right. conscience and our consciousness. So moving on mm. to, to our PM now. We have mm. the PM define, defends buying of new cars. <laughs> so, so what we have here is that, well, you, you see, ever since the report that I think Fane Richards did about, let me say, five years ago or so, maybe maybe less, maybe more, I can't really remember exactly. And she interviewed mm. Moni Lal and she interviewed a few others. I think Dial Singh as well probably was in the mix and thing, right? Um, Asking them about the the amount of vehicles that they purchase and the the tax and exemptions that they take advantage of, and you are getting all kind of figures about people buying all kind of five range Rover in two years and all kind of thing mm-hmm. because yeah, they buy what they buy yeah, one for their brother. Culprits, yeah, so. yeah, and you know this has always been somewhat of a of a um this has always been somewhat of a of a talking point when it comes to these ministers and them and what did they do for we and they buying this and the other and the other. Now, now Mr. Rowley came out and said that how people coming out, they came after Stuart Young for buying um, a luxury vehicle, right? And mm, half a million big, dollar luxury vehicle. Right. So he spends uh, GLE for 30. Yeah, big boy. Big Borge. Robert Borge, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, and then, you know, to, you know, um, Kito's a lane, he boy get dragged so. So he say, I bought a, uh, I bought a car too. <laughs> you understand? But that really? is my, he say, that is my money. Right? I work hard for my money. Part of my job is to use this vehicle to do my job, to go from place to place and engage in my 24-hour job. Who are you to tell me how to spend my money? That and then do the classic thing that your boy like to do. Right? Mm. Do the classic thing. In the same breath, say why it is all they and talk about the people who thief money blatantly, meaning the other, the other, gov- the other, the opposition, right? The opposition. So deflect and that is, parry. That, that, that they are tough. I understand. So, <laughs> so, but you see, it it goes to show you just how petty the thinking is when faced with a a, a challenging. 
voice from the people, which is that not about how you spend your money, you know. It is about how do you show a population that is in this unprecedented pandemic time, crisis, mm -hmm. right, where you know for a fact we are in the second lockdown, right, and that the economy has taken hit after hit, right? Even before the pandemic, we have had the closing of Petrotrin and the closing of Metal and closing of all these industries that have led to so many people being unemployed, unemployed, and so on. And now yeah. it's, it's, going to a, it's going to a whole other category. Do you really need to get a new vehicle right now is the question now. And to them, it's like, yes, them could do what they want. Not understanding that it's, it's all about the optics of it now. It's yeah, not about... Time and it's, place. it's a time and a place. Do you really need it? Because right now, people out here are really suffering. Now, the thing is, people are always suffering. So why should they... Uh, I mean, they can make a real arguments, but at the end of the day, it goes to show, just like when the minister, I think Cox said that how people, um, they stand up in line for for hampers because they are greedy. This, this mm. all shows a level of disconnect. All right? It's a level of disconnect. Mm. Um, you know. I just want to say... Torian, behave. And you see that disconnect. I, I, I don't believe until I get my proud. My <laughs> and then you see that disconnect continuing on, apparently, from what I've seen uh, with the schools now, where all the union cutter saying, apparently, that all the consulted. Yeah, well, that's a normal thing. Tutor mm. has tutor. Oh, what tutor really want? What, what they really want? What they want? Tutor Tell wants me. that going forward mm. with any major plan for the education system that in the planning, tutor is consulted in the planning so that they can actually have an input in the planning of the rollout of going back to school besides hearing what is the rollout and then having to say, but why this, why that, why the other? Because we, as the, as the majority, tutor as the majority um, um, union, right, represents the workers. And if it is that, you know, you're going to do these things that are unprecedented, you might as well bring people on board um, for that. And that's all that, that's all that tutor is asking for, a little... But I respect I, I hear you, Pata, but if I read this correctly, just go up to the top of the article there, Toria. Oh, sorry, sorry. They feel disrespectful. Right. But they're saying they boycott the stakeholder meeting, but wouldn't the stakeholder meeting be to consult with tutor and then? No. So why the, they boycott no, the plan? The plan has already been rolled out. So it was ah. a meeting. It was a meeting to tell you, look, the plan here. <laughs> so it is not a it is not consultation, it is a, it's, it's dressed up as consultation. And as as, as Butch is saying, consultation is the law. So mm. you know, you know. So what so um, what it is it's like they, they're saying, but but what is this they they're saying that schools opening back in September and schools, all the other work with all your all your blue soap and then? Um <laughs> not exactly, but it's it's all still Again, there was a next whole thing about the, ministry, the document that has been leaked. Maybe the real document, it may not. You know, it may be, it may not. Oh. But 
what's what's really happening is that um that the document is the has been circulated between all impo important stakeholders stakeholders and it shows that most likely we're going into what the hopeful situation of blended learning where like you have half class coming out half class online that kind of thing and obviously strict protocols no assembly that kind of thing you know so it's mm. it's something that um that we have to pay attention to because reopening our schools is a real you know it's it's something a real sensitive yeah. one everybody's struggling yeah. with that right now to be honest everybody's so, struggling, mm. struggling with that right now so at, at this point in time i want to like bring on our guests we have for tonight to deal with this the topic of is climate change real which is what you all would have seen mm. in our ad that was out there um we're mm. going to get into that not a topic in the news but we'll bring them on first and get into that topic so first of all we have um well i was gonna bring on our next fella but i'll bring on the fella right now oh omar <laughs> has been serving <laughs> omar has been serving the proper foundation as its chief executive officer um since 2018 um he has been the sustainable development program officer from 2009 to 2014 and he is certified in environmental human rights and climate change communication welcome tonight omar study program yes, the first time on yes, sir. i think he muted still Omar muted still i think yeah good, good now yeah yeah, yeah. Good, yeah. Well, welcome yes, omar. thanks thanks looking forward right right nice. and we have also no stranger to the show okay all right hector have... corazon <laughs> corazon otherwise known as faraz abdul a freelance conservation and wildlife photographer who specializes in birds right mm -hmm. and he is he has always been known to me passionate about wildlife about the, the earth about the environment and the preservation of such welcome faraz Thanks, my brother, and thanks for having me. Good to be here again. Yeah, man. Bless up, bless up, bless up. Bless up. So yes, we have we have warm faces here. Some familiar, mm -hmm. some not so familiar. <laughs> Let's get started. Um, yes. So the first thing I want to bring up bring up is uh, another news story, recently in the news, mm -hmm. where Greta Thunberg slams world leaders on the Gulf of Mexico fireball disaster, and I I not not really too um well yeah. informed about this so maybe let's see you could tell us about that that whole story yeah. and what your thoughts on that torian you could bring up the video there torian if not uh, let me share it here because i want people to see to get a vibe as to um i'm gonna share my screen Yeah, for people to understand what it is, which is really going on there now, you understand? So, that's in the ocean. This is in the ocean, right? <laughs> Looking like the pits are hell open, you understand? And this is the right. Gulf of Mexico, where just a few years ago, remember, it had this whole issue with BP and the deep water well horizon um, and that kind of thing. Literally, men on the water and have fire trucks trying to out water yeah that's not so i don't know if salt water could out you know that kind of fire but that's to tell you how bad it was that kind of space i mean look at that thing it's like godzilla coming up there yeah that's what i'm saying so you have a situation where um you have this um you know fire uh going up there so 
let's see that you end yourself. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah. yeah let's see. You're back with me. Right. Yeah, end the video so, and you end yourself same same speed. <laughs> right. So what 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 Greta's saying is that you know is apparently it's an underwater gas leak is what causes it, right? And you know the, the 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 point that she making is that this is the world they leave they leaving for us. The same you know future future um, oil companies. What we really do it now? What shocked me, fellas, is that Greta come out and say this. But really, he about get Greta for a while, closer, closer a year or two. I ain't hear nothing about Greta. I know when she and Trump was going at it, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, um, she was just a cog in the wheel for the Democrats, and you know what I mean. She got a lot of publicity. It's like she over for the New York summit and this kind of thing. But I really ain't hear about she for a while. Um, and then she jumped out with this. Um, but when you say and where, where Greta was, you mean in mainstream I ain't media? Hear, I ain't hear from she. I ain't hear from she. You understand? Okay. So, I mean, Wait. I know somebody, uh, Omar, if you could jump in, but where Greta was? Well, I mean, I, I don't know her personally. We, we, we haven't touched <laughs> in, in years, but um, I think this is something that, you know, working in an NGO, um, not a, not not maybe the most activist of NGOs, you know, um, but you always get that sort of ex, almost like an entitlement of people to say, well, where's so and so, or why is so and so not here? Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is that you can't be everywhere at all times, and right. uh, I think in in many cases, you know, like when when you when you're not hearing the siren, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. that means that maybe the siren. At that point in time, isn't that necessary? Or maybe it's off somewhere else. Maybe the the the, the ambulance went somewhere else to focus attention. Mm. Um, I think the main reason you you say hear about us so much is that there was that you had Trump and the four years of sort of climate denial, and you know the U.S. is the controller of global media, so she's going up against him. So you would have, have that, you know, happening a lot. But I think once it's not in that kind of frame, the media is probably not going to pay attention. Um, but I think, yeah, I think on one hand, um, I think maybe attentions are just diverted somewhere else. But I think also it's, it's you can't really expect, and we shouldn't expect one person to be, you know, this sort of, um, what's the word? ubiquitous kind of champion for this all the mm. time. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Mm -hmm. I hear she you. had to sleep sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, at I the same time... Add... Sorry, Kata, go ahead. Yeah, yeah well, you carry on, Paras. Yeah, I'll just also add that, you know, um, Greta is part of a, a, a global network of young people who are very concerned mm -hmm. about what's going to happen with their immediate future. You know, a lot of them are very, very young. And... Yeah, it's it, they, she has been doing a lot of things in the past year, as as someone was saying. Um, let's say you're watching too much Western news, boy. Um, <laughs> you know, but yeah, uh, the Americans do control a lot of the, the the global media, and if you're not abreast as to what is going on, um, you, you're not going to know, right? And if you're not involved in the field, so you know, just just recently she released a video about the the biomass industry in Europe 
and she alongside with a, a bunch of other young people have been doing that um and young people have been standing up for the climate for a very long time i don't know if you all remember when we were small there was a show called wildlife with david suzuki he's a general right so david suzuki's daughter seven um spoke at um i think it was a earth summit in rio de janeiro, de janeiro in brazil and that was in 1992 and it was a similar kind of scene you know it's just like i'm a child and what are they really doing into our future and she was 12 at the time you know and they just like we might just see her we might see greta we might see like one or two other people but these are just the children who the media picks up on or who the mm -hmm. media determines is going to make a, a so-called good story right which i i vehement, vehemently oppose that because um at the end of the day these are children right and they are mm -hmm. big men and women with daughters and even without daughters it doesn't matter right but you're making fun of and you're ridiculing a, a young girl um you you're plastering her, her picture everywhere you're sharing you and and basically it's I, I think it's a wrong thing to do for a child that is generally standing up for something that that she believes in right yeah well um, some well some yeah, might but, say some might say that um the fact that she is a child and even the one before they might use that fact to underscore this whole um how to put it theory that they are pawns that they are given an agenda that they are like actors almost and that because they are children that it is harder for people to as you say then the same way that you would say these are children is like that is why they are put there. What, what do you say about people who, who think that? Right. So what, like, what I think about is like if you've ever seen people um, like begging for money and they would send a child to beg for the money, right? And mm. then the, the child, would, the, you know, inherently a child has these kinds of the innocence and you feel sorry for them and you, tempt, you tend to em, empath, em, empathize with the child, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, but... At the same time, you wouldn't, you ain't gonna hit the child a hard slap, right? You wouldn't hit <laughs> the child there, right? It doesn't matter yeah. what the child is doing, you would not do it. So what makes it okay to then do a, do a abuse Greta? But but exactly. but then so 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 let me let me let me pull from that question that Torian just pulled up there from Hesu Degans. Uh, so what what the, the message? What what is the message that she bringing? I don't wanna uh, just pull back Omar. Um, what is Greta's message? Because in, in July 2019, uh, she was supposed to speak at, at the French Parliament, and the French Parliament boycotted that speech, calling her the guru of, ap of apocalypse and the Nobel Prize for fear. Um, she was given the Time Magazine Person of the Year for 2019. Um, but I think sometimes, you know, uh, the message could be lost. What is her message? That well, I mean, I think, I, well, I think you said it there. I mean, yes, her, I think her approach, and I mean, maybe it's a Scandinavian thing, but, you know, it, it is kind of doom and gloom. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is that, you know, it, it is a doom and gloom situation, um, especially for places like where we come from. I mean, um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, about the whole Paris Agreement and emissions and what that means. But the fact of the matter is that, 
you know, they could say what they want in terms of the French parliament, but you have places that are literally getting submerged. You know, you have people exploring um, land in Australia to move their country. I mean, it is a doom and gloom situation. Um, and I think it's the, is the epitome of putting your head in the sand if you want to boycott the message. And yes, it's understandable. You know, science kind of proves that you get kind of, um, what's the word? You get kind of um, almost insensitive to when you keep hearing bad news over and over and over. And you sort of shut it out. And I think that that might be what what might be happening in, in some extent. But I think in many cases, willful ignorance. And it's a very mm -hmm. easy excuse to make. Oh, well, I don't want to listen to that because it's bad. When in many cases, yeah. you just you just don't want to hear it yourself. Um, or right. it's a level of guilt that you're probably feeling. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah. But, but let me still ask this to, to, to Omar. Um, when, uh, when she was having this big sort of showdown, this Western style showdown with Trump, um, they actually had a summit where uh, they interviewed Putin. Uh, uh, about and he was the next one that they wanted her to take on, and Putin said, "You know, someone needs to, um, you know, explain to this girl that the world is very complex and that she doesn't understand how complex things are." And one in the in in the um, in the you know one of her keynote speeches that was the one in September um, when it really sort of brought her on the world scale. She had mentioned that people have fairy tales of eternal economic growth. And later on, I want to bring that concept of what dreams that she had, bringing that specific. Is that a fairy tale or is that a reality? That, that, that desire for eternal economic growth, because that seems almost like an inescapable reality that, that, that we sort of brought within. Um, so if Omari could comment and then we'll bring in Faraz to, to talk about it. Yeah, well, I think it's it's maybe a fairy tale. Maybe it's, an, it's a, a slightly different way than maybe you ask any question. I think it's a fairy tale that people probably told themselves that you have, you have infinite possible growth and that the economy will just keep growing infinitely. So I think that is the, story, is the fairy tale she's talking about that people... Okay. kind of raised up to believe um which is not true <laughs> which is a you know right. which is a fairy tale um mm -hmm. so i think um and just to come back to what faraz was saying i mean with all of these world leaders trying to tell this girl that the world is complicated yes i mean that's why she's saying that you all need to listen um mm -hmm. because the politics are complicated too but the science is also complicated so you can't you can't be shifting you know trying to shift your responsibilities by putting some a girl on blast like a child, you know, you know, it, it's mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. For us, for us, wait, wait, wait. Think about that. Um, I think you know, like we have to look at the the what economic growth is and what it is based on, right? And if you look at how the the economy is, what is based on, and you brace it down, uh, when you when you really break it down to to the brass tacks, right? It is based on natural resources. Right and uh, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. the manipulation of some of these natural resources and the the flow of goods from here and there and whatever, um, mm -hmm. but infinite economic growth that is based on natural resources and the presence of natural resources is being um, taken uh, to be something that can happen on a planet 
that is finite, right? So you want something yeah. that's infinite to come out of something that is finite. And that makes, no matter how you look at it, that makes no logical sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to challenge that, but, but we'll, come back, we'll come back to that. I want to I wanna pull the meat of the conversation for we to dive in the mud straight. Is climate change real, Omar? Well, yes. I mean, that's a simple question. <laughs> yes, you say, oh, yeah. you say climate change yeah. is real. When you yes. say real, what do you mean? So I think, I think we have to... I mean, it's good to talk about... It's good that we're talking about climate change. And I've right. been discussing it. What but is I think climate we, change? Yeah, so I think we have to kind of get settled on two things. One is mm -hmm. that... The, the, the actual debate about climate change is a political one because the actual scientific consensus is, if not 100%, it's very it's statistically close to 100%. Um, because the, the, science, the science is there. I mean, you have 800,000 years of climate evidence. And it shows, so climate change, when you talk about climate change, in the kind of big umbrella thing is really three things. So one is that the world, the climate is changing in many places, getting warmer. And that's because primarily of a rise in emissions, primarily carbon dioxide, and that that rise in emissions is caused by human behavior and human action. So that's like the three pillars. Right. And again, like I said, you have evidence going back 800,000 years that shows that emissions are related to an increase in temperature. Your drill, your drill cores in the ice, you check the composition of the air bubbles that are trapped inside, you get how much carbon dioxide, you melt the ice, you check the isotopes, you get a proxy for temperature. And that relationship has been steady over 800,000 years. So if you apply that same logic to the science now, you have the fact that rising emissions are causing rising temperatures and it's the steepest it's ever been over that 800,000 year period. And uh, you know, the fact is that, you know, science exists for a reason. You have testable hypotheses that you can rigorously um, approach and validate and replicate. And the fact is that that's been done significantly. So the consensus is there. So if anyone says there's not consensus, that's coming from a, a ideological position because the science is, is completely there. Um, so any debate around it is from a political perspective. Um, which right. is related to um, how to deal with the impacts. And even as far as going back to what is the cause, because we all know that there are issues of colonialism and all that kind of thing. People don't want to mm -hmm. take responsibility for, for, for what's happening now. Um, so in a long answer, yes, it is real. <laughs> now, okay. I would say that, um, you know, that's the clickbait title we have there now, is climate mm -hmm. change real now. But we can, I, and you know, the majority of people know and agree, even, you know, uh, people with agendas per se of, of different politics and whatever, that it is real that the climate changes. But then they would come with certain arguments, you know, basic arguments. The climate is always changing. Um, you will also which hear, true. which, okay, mm -hmm. right. Um, you'll also hear the, the argument made that. The same thing, the pillar you talked about in the sense of that human um, inter um, engagement, human act activity, you know, and emissions and so on, um, that that is what is causing 
the climate to change at a rapid rate. And that is where the real crux of the debate, I would say, comes from now, which is how much mm. is human activity uh, um, causing this change? How much of a change is it? And then we could get to other things. But let's see, maybe you might want to, um, to get in there with something yeah, too. I, 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 yeah, so for me, I don't think we've, we've left the point of whether it's real or not yet. Um, I think, yes, uh, that argument of, uh, you know, the contribution, uh, the, the anthropogenic contribution of it, and then talking about how to treat it, it will, will deal with that. But I still don't see this as being, because it's, it's Omar is right. Uh, a lot of what people use is that word consensus or settled science to basically speak to 99% of research papers essentially stating, well, you know, the climate is changing, uh, global temperatures are rising, um, and therefore, um, you know, uh, and there's there's some connection with the actual amount of carbon that's being put into uh, the atmosphere. But it would be remiss of me to say that that 99% is 100%. That's not true. There are some researchers, and there are two uh, I could pull out, uh, a guy called Willie Soon, that actually has a theory that solar irradiation is actually what causes that rise in temperature, not uh, the, 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 the additional carbon in the atmosphere. And uh, he has several different uh, references. He uh, is a researcher for the Harvard Center for Astrophysics. And um, that solar irradiance theory has to do with uh, attributing that temperature rise to the closeness of the Earth to the sun, because remember, we do exist on a plane with the sun and stay in equidistant across time. We actually move helically um, within uh, the broader universe. So at different periods, you're actually going to find, um, you know, the Earth being closer to the sun at certain points in time or not. Uh, if I could just share uh, with you this, um, this chart, which is something that I think people should um, should see, right? So this chart, I don't know if you've seen it clearly enough here. So this chart shows the rising temperatures from 1850 to 2000. It's a famous um, uh, research that was done by Berkeley University. Um, they were sort of the pioneers for establishing the new average temperature of the Earth. Um, let me see if I could come back there, right? And when it is there, they put that up. If you notice that that basically, um, that basically takes the temperature from 1850 to now using land satellites, all right? So what they're actually saying is, as it stands now in 2021, there are certain places on the Earth that are actually colder than it was before. But what they did is that how researchers, there's a specific methodology where they take the average temperature at certain stations across the, across the Earth using satellite technology. But that technology only existed in the early 1800s. So what I am saying from an objective person's perspective is that if we only have data from 1800 to now, and I challenge anybody to find data before 18, 1800. I know, Omar, you mentioned 800 years, but I couldn't find anything going back before 1800. Um, and what it's showing is that it has 
temperature rise uh, rising steadily from there. But what happened before 1800? The same paper from uh, Willie Soon spoke about uh, the Monda Minimum, uh, where he established the um, the medieval warm period and the Little Ice Age. So 400 years ago, a guy called Keegwin, 1996, would have done research where he did use carbon dating to estimate the temperature of the Sargasso Sea that actually showed that 400 years ago, a period they call the Little Ice Age, uh, the Sargasso Sea was one degree uh, cooler. And a thousand years ago, the medieval warm period, we were actually one degree Celsius warmer. So to me, you know, the science in my mind isn't settled that we are actually warmer now. Now, another slant of the research, when you actually look at it, uh, also tells you that Venus is actually much closer to the sun than the Earth, and Venus is 900 degrees on, uh, on its surface. And the reason for that is because nearly 100% of the atmosphere is carbon dioxide. So that is an argument in the direction that if we keep you know, putting carbon in the atmosphere, we're going to end up like Venus. Um, I know I throw a lot of things at you all there, uh, but perhaps if we could start some unpacking, I see Farah smiling there. What do you think about that? Is it settled uh, science that climate change is real, that we're warming? Yeah, um, you know, I know, I know of at least one study that was done in 1999 mm -hmm. of um, one of the ice cores in Antarctica, and they, they managed to, to get the climate history of the past 420,000 years now, right? Um, mm. So yeah, like uh, the, the data is there. It's not just, you know, a few hundred years or whatever, but I think I just want to say that okay. it's a major, one of our major fallacies of the human condition then uh, would be to, to scale things by our lifetimes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So let's just say, that our average lifetime is just, let's just say, 100 years, right? Um, then we think if something takes 100 years, that's a real long time, right? Mm -hmm. If something takes 500 years, that's a real long time, right? That's even longer. Mm -hmm. But in the grand scheme of things, in terms of the history of the Earth and geological cycles and all of these kind of things, plate tectonics, they all move at a much slower scale right mm -hmm. so for something to change and for some like i'm sure you all noticed there have been things that are happening now that weren't happening when we were younger right Correct. Uh, look look this year we got a, a, a we actually got a, a named atlantic storm um in may so that's even before before um, our usual hurricane season and that happened for the first time now, right um we get adverse weather warnings in in, in the dry season. So these are things that are happening and that are, um, you know, clear consequences of uh, something that's different. Um, but yeah, like, it, it, you're right, there's a, a bunch of things that you that you, you, you threw at us. So what I would like, to, I think I would just take a little um, drink, drink of water now and let Omar take over. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, I think you're, you're right on a couple of things there, um, Leslie. Um, mm -hmm. So again, like what Faraz was saying, you have, so you have a lot of this data was collected by this organization called the British Antarctic Survey. So they've been doing this for mm. decades, going and drilling in the ice. And you have mm. 
up to again you have the the longest the not the longest the the furthest back is 800,000 years um where okay. and then you have like 400 yeah, 100,000 years in greenland or whatever and you do that same thing where you check the you check the trapped air bubbles you melt the ice you check isotopes or whatever uh, so that you're able to to map out this you know geologic time and you are right that the earth does get warmer because you change your motion and so if you look at this graph, you, you'll see 800,000 years and you'll see literal um, up and down, up and down. Um, and that's where you have your ice ages. So you have these glacial and interglacial periods that last about 100,000 years. Um, so it gets really cold, then it gets back warm, it gets cold and gets back warm, and it lasts about 100,000 years each. Um, mm. So that is correct, that it actually does, it, it is caused by your position around the sun on that plane. But the, again, like I said, you could you could effectively map out this 800 year, 800,000 year history. And uh, there's a little spike at the end, which is where we are. And you'll see that we are above the average um, in terms right. of temperature and emissions. So that by itself right. says a lot. And, right. uh, the, so the, and you also have a lot of, people saying, well, how could you have global warming when places get cold? And there's a reason that people have stopped using this term global warming, because that was the initial term. People mm. say, oh, it's global warming, because you're right. trapped in heat and you're getting warmer. But so mm. they've kind of moved away from using that because it's, like you said, some places are getting colder, which is true. Because, mm. you know, you, you've heard about like polar vortex and all those kind of things. Right, right. Yes, 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 yes. So, yes. and it's all related to, you know, so like, so, and this is okay. where, again, it's a complicated system. And that's what right. I think, it's so big to comprehend that people sometimes right. find it easier to just say, well, that's not, that's not true. Um, right. So basically right. some places get colder because you have like this jet stream that goes around the Northern hemisphere, which, which regulates right. temperature. And you have mm. sort of heat pushing up from the equator, making that jet stream go like this. So you actually right. have bigger dips. So instead of going like that, it starts to go like right. this. So you have these vortexes reaching all the way down to like the southern United States or whatever. Um, okay. And then you have melting right. ice, which reduces salinity of your Atlantic Ocean, which affects mm. how your, your currents and stuff pass. So the currents that bring warm water and cold water get all, um, I was going to use that, but get all screwed up. And right. uh, you have, again, you have temperatures changing because of that. So it's it's climate change as opposed to just right. global warming. No. Than just global warming. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I mean, that, that one of the things that I want to point out, guys, is that uh, just to put in perspective, this is the second time I think we touched uh, lightly on climate change on the first episode with Faraz of the Heights Room. Uh, Faraz, I know it's so long ago that, 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 you know, I know you remember it. But the intent is that this is a, such a complex topic, people. We gradually unpack in the bigger chunks of it. So we have about six different parts we want to unpack in this episode. But definitely we expect more episodes to come where perhaps we focus a little more on these climate change deniers, you know, and the science behind it and why it's not actually correct and that kind of thing. Uh, because another point I want to make, uh, which I thought a man from the comments would have hit me, is that this Willie Soon guy is actually funded by Exxon. 
So I mean, yes. uh, I hope you're, you know, what I mean, is uh, once a man dig a little deeper, he actually got 1.25 million funded by the Koch brothers on Exxon. So mm-hmm. it's actually the big fossil fuel producers that mm-hmm. are actually funding his research. Yeah. So that's, that's another that, point. Whenever you have this kind of point of view, the first thing that you do is Google the name and find out who funded the study. Mm-hmm. Right. But then, but then I could ask the question, who is funding IPCC's uh, research? And even that seems to be quite a nebulous kind of world as well, from what I understand. But, but let me take it from right there for us. Let me take it from, from right that point, all right? Um, the scientific consensus, and it is deemed to be settled science, that climate change is real and happening, and that it has to do with um, the anthropogenic contribution to uh, humans uh, putting uh, carbon into the atmosphere. There's a study that, and and Greta keeps talking about it, um, that 100 companies across the world contributes to 71% of this carbon, uh, the carbon, what they call in the carbon budget. I don't know if somebody could explain the carbon budget because she was explaining it along the lines of we have a rapidly declining um, carbon budgets and we have basically 420 gigatons left before we break that 1.5 to 2 degrees uh, limit and that we're actually expending 4.2 gigatons of CO2 per year um, and that 100 companies is what contributing to that 25 companies contribute to 50% of that equivalent carbon uh, contribution. Uh, I don't know if Omari could come in here and talk a bit about what the carbon budgets is and just kind of unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, it's basically that, you know, they have this ceiling of 2 degrees Celsius. Um, you want to rise, mm-hmm. your maximum rise of 2 degrees Celsius over your, your pre-industrial level. That's what the... The level is, uh, which is still horrible for us. That is, by the way, um, it's good okay. for how, how other horrible? people. How horrible? What 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 like, that means if, if you cross two degrees? Isn't that I gone dead? You know, if you live in here, probably um, because the <laughs> fact of the matter is, it's, right, right. you're increasing. If you go from one point five to two degrees, Atlantic hurricanes going to increase by almost seventy five percent. That that's that's saying a lot, um, right. and that's just one right. e- effect. So. Basically, mm-hmm. that two degrees Celsius, you have that that's equivalent to a certain amount of carbon dioxide emissions. So they've mm-hmm. calculated it. And I think, I don't know the exact figures, but it's basically saying that you have to, if you burn this, okay, so the ceiling that you're allowed to burn in terms of fossil fuels to, mm-hmm. to reach that ceiling is, I think, you have to leave 88% of coal or 80-something percent of coal in the ground. You have to leave, I think it's almost 50% or something of oil in the ground. And uh, you have to leave 30 something, 40% or something of natural gas in the ground. Because if you go above that, then you'll be putting emissions into the atmosphere that can't necessarily right now be easily removed. Um, so that's like the budget that you have. So you're allowed mm. to burn... 12% of coal, 50% of oil, um, 60-something percent of natural gas. Um, and the fact is, I mean, some things have changed, like BP, for example, with their campaign. But 
there's a 2019 study, a uh, finance study that looks at capital expenditure of the top 10 um, oil mm -hmm. giants. And every mm -hmm. single one, every single one has signed on as a climate champion, by the way. Yeah. But mm -hmm. each one has capital expenditure for at least the next decade that relies on being able to burn more than that budget. Um, so that's mm -hmm. a very interesting thing to think about. Um, so they're just talking then? Well, I mean, BP's green um, net zero thing is slightly, I think, more um, positive, I think, than some of the most of the others, um, because they're setting some stronger targets. But effectively, most people playing this this game with the budget, basically, um, mm. which is not a good thing for any of us. So, um, and that's why, like, I personally have issues with like trading carbon. Because you're just given an excuse to keep putting it out there, um, right? So yeah, so that's where it becomes real political, and who trying to sh to push off their responsibility on somebody else, who trying to mm. give some give a grant of money to plant trees so I could burn oil, you know that kind of, that kind of stuff. Mm. So like they gaming the numbers then. Well, I, I don't. Know, they just I think they're gaming in general. <laughs> I think numbers or otherwise. <laughs> um, like Man City. <laughs> but but yeah. but then but then tell me this then um so if it is we saying uh 420 gigatons is and this is coming from the cop 25 right um 420 gigatons because to me this is kind of staggering number that essentially once we cross that um you know we're going to end up in now 1.5 degree to 2 degree average temperature rise and currently we're burning 42 gigatons of CO2 a year. Um, if it is the top 10 oil producers is the ones who really contribute into this, why should we in the Caribbean and I out here in the Pacific, why should we care if we contribute in so little compared to them? In other words, they are the ones making that, that big, that big uh, you know, contribution to the carbon. Why should we be part of this fight? I, I, I don't know for us if, if you could chime in or not. Well, I think mm. it's uh, for me personally, especially, is a matter of conscience. You know, if I am not in the fight to oppose the destruction of our natural world, right? If I'm not in that fight, then I'm fighting to destroy it. You understand? Mm. So yeah, so like I I think it's 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 a matter of conscience that we every we really need all hands on deck. Right in the mm -hmm. sense of well, we had to fix this, and every little bit matters, right? Because a lot of a lot of us here in the Caribbean and in smaller and the global south, especially, we feel um disempowered, right? Um, in terms of being yeah. any kind of impact or or whatever, right? But you know, we're all consumers. We're all uh, and in in a con look, Dennis is now talking about that, right? Um, mm. that that us as consumers, if we can change our behavior, right, and we can we can choose more sustainable practices for ourselves, then we'd be able to have a trickle up effect on on some on some other facet of the economy. Right? But 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 let me challenge that for us. Let me challenge that a little bit in the sense that Greta has two two specific dreams in, in particular. And to me I think she's one of the real 
uh, impressive leaders in terms of uh, climate, uh, you know, changing and, 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 you know, bettering the environment in some way. And it really is, she's the epitome of the older people saying, you know, it's your, you young people turn. And we as young people coming up, is like, yeah, but it's all who caused the problem, you understand? But two dreams that she talk about. One, the dream of eternal economic growth. And that, to me, is something uh, we would try and unpack perhaps in another episode, talking about can, when is, when do billionaires say, I have enough money? You know, because that is what fueling the whole argument, one. And two, uh, when does the world say we have enough power? All right. Um, The other part of that, of of the dream, so the, the other big dream that she has is that uh, and she spoke about this uh, when she blanked attending the COP26 because she, she labeled the COP25 a failure. And she said she didn't want to participate in the COP26. And she, she started speaking directly to people now because she spoke about the issue of the inequity in the climate struggle that, you know, third world developing nations are just being pushed to the forefront. Well, you all need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And the people who is most vociferous in that is the is the big producers who is the us the right, the, um, g7. the g7 right yeah, yeah. and one of the big contributors to, to, to this is is us land uh land use uh oil producers so that is like when you see people trying to pull oil from the from the from the land itself we know in Trinidad we have a lot of that as well apparently the 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 fugitive emissions that come from those wells are actually very dangerous emissions that are not just carbon, but is methane, which is 80-something percent Mm -hmm. uh, more dangerous than carbon itself. But to bring it back to the dream, what she's saying in the dream is that the people is the one that holds the power. But fellas, I'm not seeing that, you know. I'm not seeing that, that, that the people really have the power. I mean, she's doing all the striking and everything, yeah, but yeah, I'm not yeah. seeing as the people talk to well, me. The thing is, the thing is, right? The people or whoever it is that are um, very concerned about this thing, they are fighting a very big and powerful entity, mm-hmm. right? So this is an entity that I want. Let me just use you, which is the power mafia. That's right? what it is. It's the power mafia, right? It then only it is is power and money, right? And this whole entity, right, is something that is that. That um that pervades the whole the whole world, right? And the entity needs certain resources to keep alive and to sustain itself, right? And um, this entity is something that continues to grow, continues to grow, and continues to grow. So it needs more and more resources as it gets bigger, right? That entity is something that is this is not going to take kindly to any attempts to undermine its efforts to get bigger right or to maximize profit right and if it if you if you really break it down it's like how did the g7 countries get so rich right did they have the resources right um you know Mm. it's it at the end of the day it is very simple right in terms of climate change it is a number Mm. of people on the planet and it Mm -hmm. is this entity that are talking about which some people call capitalism Right, Omar. Uh, what, Omar, what do you think about that? You, you think you think the people have still have the power? Well, I mean, it it depends where you are. Um, right. I think right. 
you've had a lot of results from those like strikes, the climate strikes. Um, so you've had you've had results in places where, again, where you have an engaged population and you have citizenry who vote on things like issues and not on other reasons that we mightn't talk about here. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's really important to, to note, and I mentioned it, I think, earlier, that the debate is a political one, not a science one. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of research now, at least in the last five years or so, that the main driver of climate action by people is not their education or their wealth or whatever, is their political ideology. So that actually determines what, what you do around climate change. So because it's, it's because I mean, like in the US, for example, and I don't like to talk about the US a lot, but that's where you have a lot of information about. You know, mm -hmm. Republicans used to drive environmental championing in like the 70s True. and 80s. True. Yeah, True. like so. Uh, so, Correct. but that that widening has happened over the last, um, you know, last couple of years in particular, where you have, um, you know, um, environmental issues are like a liberal ish, a liberal thing, and conservatives yeah. wherever you are in the world, it's it's you're against it because it threatens jobs and economies and whatever else. And I think what's important is being able to talk about it in a way that meets both sides. Um, yeah. But I think it's really important, especially for places like here, like in Trinidad, where, you know, has anyone talked about climate change on a political platform? Like, has that no. ever, have you ever heard? Exactly. No. Because, no, because people <laughs> don't show them that they care. Exactly. I mean, so wow. that's, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, yep. Yep. but I mean, like for as I was saying earlier, um, you have, like, I did some work a couple about a year or two ago interviewing Gen Z, well, self-proclaimed Gen Z climate activists. <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, again, these obviously are people in like Form Six who want to go on protest, but you know when we was in Form Six, you have right. to ask permission or whatever. So yeah, they, 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 they're getting kind of stuck halfway. But the fact is that you mm -hmm. have people now trying to activate that. So I think the people have the power where traditionally they would have had the power anyway. Not in countries where um, I think you might not have as an engaged citizenry. But you have Correct. seen you have seen the impacts in other places where public opinion actually moves the needle a little bit. Um, right. So right. I think, again, it depends where you are, what kind of politics you have, I think, in particular. Right. Um, right. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and, like, you know, yeah. you know fossil, the fossil fuel industry has been, for the majority of our life, well, my lifetime and the lifetime of our parents and so on, that has been the bread and butter of the nation. Mm -hmm. And we have had, you know, um, the episode on, on that whole industry and how much people, you know, <clears throat> you know have depend on that industry. And all. You Let's you remember how much you talk about mm -hmm. with, with passion. Mm -hmm. About mm -hmm. about these industries, like like you know, like it's like almost like a birthright almost in a certain mm -hmm. in a certain mm -hmm. way. So when we have that kind of um of commitment to that ideal that you know these industries are is what what gives us our rich our riches our our convenience or that Trinidad is one of the leaders because of that you know in the Caribbean mm -hmm. that's that's how we equate it now. Um and so when that when that is the the default thinking. Right, mm. 
And then we wonder why it is, well, people just talk about diversity and so long they're singing this song about diversity and thing. But again, it's really up to people too to say that, oh, well, what really going on there now? You know? Mm -hmm. Be because think... we, we don't really, really, really think about, it, ab about diversifying the economy the way we should or how much things that really need to, to be remodeled in Trinidad because we all know about the whole thing about, you know, you cannot get as much energy from from solar and wind as much as you can get from fossil fuels or whatever. But at the same time, too, how much of how much of us would are willing to buy an electric car if it is that um that they are available? You know, how much people are going to not, not gonna put, you know, the, the big engine and, and all of that and make the noise and if you understand what I'm saying, you wanna say something, Omar? Yeah, I was gonna say um that I think the issue is that people get very defensive, I think, about the energy industry. And I think it's also this, I mean, you know, people, sometimes it's hard to hold true two things true at the same time. I mean, it's, it's completely correct that, you know, things like capitalism and things like fossil fuels have resulted in, um, you know, economic, quote-unquote economic growth and getting benefits. people out of... Benefits, yeah, yeah. benefits. For but at the, same, at the same time, you could, you could admit that and also say that, now we realize that it's not the um, Eden that we thought it was. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, mm -hmm. you, you live and you learn. So I think you could literally, you could, you could have those two things in your head at the same time. And I think people find very hard for people to, to, to admit that, oh, actually this mightn't be as great as we thought it, it probably is. And that, and that goes for so many things, like even so many things, colonialism. Yeah. A lot of people say, well, if Christopher Lovers didn't come here, we would have never reached. I think I mean, like you know, like you know, um, and I'm like, yeah, so okay, certain things have paved the way for mm -hmm. for a lot of benefits for our society and so on, but they have also had ills and having ills, you know, you know, and and in terms of our our um look at look at what happens with our with our environment, you know, with our wildlife, with our flooding, right? With our with our you know, just our, our emissions and our carbon footprint and thing. You know, it there are ills there that need to be addressed. You know, and it doesn't mean that you have to at once stamp out. But as far as always said, he said in the first um, in the first ever podcast we had back in the day, let's see. The only way you're going to stop is when you take your foot off the gas. Yeah. Now. You mm. understand? So your car just mash the brakes one time and your car just um, you know. Jadona, stop just so. You have to take your foot off the gas. So, in a way, too, we don't really show that we are in any position to take our foot off the gas in any way before mashing the brakes or anything like that because of just the, the general citizenry and the fact that we cannot have a conversation where we could say, okay, these are the benefits, these are the ills, which one outweigh and which one in what regard and how do we come to some kind of, you know, amicable resolution in the short term in the long term whatever for us jumping there yeah well um i kind of get lost in a bunch of things and i thought i was having in my head but um yeah <laughs> you know in as somebody who is being nature right and uh, just taking in nature and taking the natural way and natural processes and i'm kind of thing right i notice that everything in the natural world is a closed loop right uh, in terms of nutrients and um, wealth, whether it be livelihood or whatever, um, is, is always a closed loop. One thing is always feed into our next, I'll feed into our next, I will feed into our next, and everything is always go back to the start, right? 
Um, but if, if you look at what we commodify and uh, what we have commodified, right, uh, just a general flow of wealth from, let's just say, a mine in, um, in, in, in the Congo or something like that, um, that wealth is taken out of that country, taken to another country, and then um, it's, it's manipulated, it's added to some other things, and then it's created something else next to you have a smartphone. And mm -hmm. uh, that mm -hmm. wealth continues to feed up and up so the manufacturers get more than the miners, then the people who program it will get more than the manufacturers and whatever. Um, but the the wealth tends to concentrate at the very top, right? So you're getting these um, spectacularly rich people, right, who are mm -hmm. in the minority, and then they have um, a bunch of other people who are making a lot less money. Um, but then where does the wealth go after it accumulates at the top, right? To me, it's not a closed loop system, right? Because if the, if let's just, are we using the, 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 the example of the mines in, in Africa, right? By that logic, those mines and the people who are getting that raw material, they're supposed to be the richest of all, mm -hmm. right? And uh, it's, it's not supposed to have that poverty, but the problem is that the system is not a closed loop system. And inherently mm. they're unsustainable. Because what do you mean by a closed loop system? A closed loop system is like a food chain. Right. Mm. Right. So like if, if, if Bill Gates were to say, or I just call a, a random name or, or, Jeff yeah. Bezos or, or Branson yeah. or whoever, these joys are joy, right. And um, rich, what yeah was, yeah <laughs> um yeah like if if they were to distribute their wealth um equitably to the people and the countries that got them wealthy right would we be in the same situation as we are today that would then be a closed loop system if they were to if they were to send their wealth elsewhere to the to the bottom of that chain then you know like when a when a when an animal will feed on the next animal but then the animal dies and then you know the the nutrients from that animal would then mm. feed back into the soil that will grow more yeah. trees that something will eat and then something will eat yeah. that and so on. yes all of those things are, are closed loop systems and uh it's sustainable for millennia but uh what we're doing in terms of the flow of of wealth which is our version of nutrients because we yeah, our resources everything. yeah resources natural resources we don't have a closed loop system we're converting it into wealth which is another problem because how can we truly quantify how much like what is the price of clean air what is the price of portable water water right but you know, like mm. people, want to put, people want to put price tags on things, and they say, "Well, if you have to invest in something, whether it is oil or renewable energy or a new vehicle or whatever it is, you have to do a cost-benefit analysis." But that's that that analysis is going to be impossible to do if you cannot truly quantify how much does a tree um, worth in, like how much is a tree worth in terms of its contribution to the stability of your environment. Right, you can't yeah, you can't yeah. quantify that mm. in terms of dollars and cents, and that's a problem with people trying to justify some kind of investment. And it's this disconnect between what is a, a cost of something, like the cost of uh, of, of life, and um, what is what is the price of something, which is something that yeah, can well, be in terms of dollars. Well, I had a Gary usable bottle because um, <laughs> and right now I, I I could tell you twenty four dollars. Uh, probably a case 
for the um, price of water. You brave to come and say that here, boy. Yeah. But 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 let me ask this though. Um and I think uh I understand I understand the different positions from where from where you all coming from, but just to bring it back to because it's not an easy question to answer. Um uh which is Greta's dream being um you know this power residing with people. And let's just take Trinidad and Tobago, for example, right? And diversification is a long, winding discussion. But let's speak specifically to diversification of the power sector. And we have a situation where we we depend on natural gas and um, oil and uh, a lot of land-based wells and that kind of thing um, in order to, to fuel our power needs. Um, but we also seem to be stuck in this eternal track of, of growth in terms of power usage. Our power usage isn't stopping. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned in a previous episode, you know, power in Trinidad, because of the triple subsidy, is, you know, 13 times cheaper than the most expensive guy in the Caribbean, who is Barbuda. Um, so we don't have any sort of incentives in order to put, in order to diversify and diversification all across the world historically only happens under pressure. So given that all of these subsidies, all of these subsidies are happening with um, the power industry, why would we diversify the power sector? And if we were to do that, what are we going to diversify into? What? Oh. Um... Yeah, well, I'm not a, a power specialist, but um, <laughs> so, we have, so we have, again, so Trinidad and Tobago is a signatory to the Paris Convention, um, okay. the Paris Agreement. And mm-hmm. in that, each country has to make um, determined contributions. So it's called nationally determined contributions to the, right. the same budget, the budget that you're talking right, about. NDPs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... We committed fifteen to reduce fifteen percent in power from power generation, industry, and transport. I think it was, um, okay. because like a hundred million tons or something, which is not very aggressive. But you know, they they're revising it now. Every five years, they have to revise. Um, mm. But I think the matter, the, the fact of the matter is that it's like like for us, we're saying it's not a closed loop system. The the fossil fuels are going back in the ground. The natural right. gas are going back in the ground. So at some point, we're going to reach that point where we're going to have to find alternative means. If we want to be stubborn and not plan for it, then mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of we asked to catch at the end of the day. So right. it's, only, it's only forward thinking to start planning for the event. The, the very real eventuality that is not going to be around anymore. And even if it is around, it might be cost more, more and more to actually extract it from wherever it is. And I think mm-hmm. it's also important to realize that, again, Trinidad and Tobago is in a, in a global community. And you have places that are now, like the, the European Union, you sort of, they're instituting like carbon borders, which talks about mm-hmm. the fact that if you're importing things to the EU, exporting things to the EU, you, you have to be responsible for your carbon emissions related to that particular mm-hmm. object or whatever. 
And I think that's going to be the trend. So unless you want to kind of um, carbon yourself out of the global economy as well, <laughs> I think it, I think it's Carbonate. just a matter of being forward thinking um, because it's not going to be around forever. It's probably going to get more expensive to produce and you're going to not be competitive in a, in a world where people are getting real stringent around carbon and emissions and um, and what's what's being allowed to come into wherever the economic space is. Um, so I think, I mean, I know that there are, there have been some ambitious plans for renewable energy, like the solar parks and whatever, but again, it, it feels like somebody had me, I think it was Dennis who was talking about the fact that we should be trying to leverage as much innovation as possible to try to, again, people always say, you know, Trinidad is one of the oldest producers. We have all this intellectual um, capital. People say that, like, you know, developed small island states are on the forefront. We should be leading innovation. But we we never show any of that. And I think that's such a missed opportunity. Um, For a country that gets so much, yeah. Yeah, so let's go into that then, Omar. Let's let's create a hypothetical situation. Two hundred million US going and drop on your door tomorrow. What two projects would you want to invest in for that two hundred million US? I think. What do you very... think? Would you think? Would you immediately go solar and wind? Um, for us here, yes, I think so. Um, just for producing energy. Um, because anything like stuff like biogas or whatever that's you just need land and stuff for that which we do have. Um, and I think for me, I would invest as much of that money as possible into the green infrastructure. Because let me tell you, as you know, for us who's our sort of wildlife expert will probably know we're in a real bad situation with a lot of the, the sort of ecosystem support that the country has. Um, mm. from mangroves to forest uh um wetlands whatever is or most of them in a bad state and right. that's the, that's the kind of if you have functioning watersheds you wouldn't need a desalination plant an expensive right. desalination plant if you right. had if you had um functioning coral reefs you ain't have to pay so much money for insurance because you're beach washing away so mm. and, those, and those things going to get worse and worse and worse so I think it's important to what you know the, the sort of common the the sort of parlance now is sort of um nature-based solutions. Um right. which is that which is where so that's remember you would somebody was talking about you know why we need to care about emissions. I mean and again most places, even Trinidad with hyper capita, we don't give out plenty. So our focus mm. has to be on literally we can't control what's going on, so we have to adapt. And the most effective way to adapt is build back up your natural resilience. Like it's like any any anybody, you want to build your immune system first, and your immune system in the country is your natural ecosystems. Again, if you have a properly forested northern range, you think half the country going to get flooded out every time mm. you read for like twenty minutes mm. or something. It's not going to happen. Um, but we've we've degraded those things to the extent where um we try to scramble to get um sort of you know um hard infrastructure to to, to start putting up but it's, it's never going to substitute because like as for us says i mean you have 
you have economic solutions the price the services that nature provides but you're never going to actually quantify the total cost and uh, so that's where i might put most of my money to be very honest with you yeah uh, and then again a solar park here there oh, oh, oh. yeah for us uh where you would put it 200 million yeah, no, in, in totally in, in terms of ecosystem preservation, and because right now we're on, a, we, we're on the precipice of ecological collapse, um, not only mm -hmm. here, but across, across the world, you know, and um, you see it, you see it everywhere, um, you know, and a lot of people can't or maybe are unwilling to understand the, the exponential nature of these kinds of occurrences, you know, like there are, there are certain uh, things that we call... Um, tipping points for the climate where certain mm. things are going to become uh, accelerated so it's a it's a non-linear scale now, right so let's just mm -hmm. say like uh, the melting of an ice sheet be like all right cool well the, the ice sheet is melting um but then the very fact that the ice sheet is melting it reduces our ability to reflect heat back, back out into the atmosphere thus further exacerbating <laughs> the problem of warming right because the ice is melting due to warming and so on so um, a lot of yeah. things snowball and while like say the initial effect might take 10 years to materialize if left unchecked then the next um tipping point might be crossed in two years and then right. further to that might be a year and then further to that might just be a couple of months and before you know it you're on a slippery slope which is probably what we're on right now and right. um and you know like we have not yet um really um falling out into the abyss but we slip it and slide in there real fast mm -hmm. right and, and even in terms of of renewable energy everything is going to cost some kind of energy it's going to cost some kind of resources it doesn't matter what kind of energy that you are um you know interested in whether it is is uh, hydroelectric dams or geothermal or or biomass or wind or solar whatever everything is gonna um you know it, it's gonna entail some kind of use of resources, right? And it's it's not the not the best case scenario, but it's not the worst yeah. case scenario either, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but but let me yeah. just let me just delve, delve a little deeper in that though. For us, when you mention uh, green infrastructure, okay, so two hundred million going to improve the ecosystem. What would that actually be? Though? So let's say you break that down into 50 million. Well, what would you, is it that you're importing trees and basically you're hiring a contractor to this state land area? I want you to populate it. Because I think we, we, we often hear the talk, but we usually reach the point of, okay, prepare a, a, a proper uh, bankable project for me and yeah. everybody stick. And that used to happen with the Green Fund a lot. We found that, you know, we decided to mortgage away that we don't have access to anymore, you know. But the question would be, you know, if we were to create another green fund or get yeah. access to another green fund, what is the actual bankable things uh, yeah. on land that we could spend on? Right. So the key thing is going to be to, first of all, uh, in terms of, of forest and deforestation, to halt deforestation, right? Because uh, a forest is not a collection of trees. You can't you mm -hmm. can't just plant a forest. No. You could plant trees, but trees don't make a forest. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Itself is an organism, right? 
that is made up of a multitude of different things. So the forests that exist currently, they are not simply a collection of trees. Now we have to stop looking at them as, as that, right? Um, so, so you would be paying the loggers, so that money would be going to the loggers to, to what? Like how? Where would that money go? That's that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. I am generally very poor with um with with money things because I have a very <laughs> a, a big aversion to it like you know because I know what you mean I know because what you mean. like I I see it as the 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 cause the one root cause of mm. of the unraveling of of the climate is all for the pursuit of money right and right. They, mm. the minority that made all of these systems and they are they are benefiting a lot from it and they they making everybody. Like like rat just going for an next piece of cheese or like slaves waiting for right. an next piece of bread. Right. Maybe right. we got bread so we can't no. complain. You know we have right. AC, we have this, we have a car, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But it's uh, it's creature comforts for us now. But they don't really um you know we need a, a, a total lifestyle change, right? The world need a whole a, a one child right. policy. All yeah. kind of thing how to go on and you know yeah. we, that people don't want to have these conversations because they are huge systematic changes that have systemic changes that have to um, be be enacted so really so, so aside from deforestation for us right because okay so deforestation as you say is more of a what you say like is that more a, as a concept and the concept of the forest right so looking at so a different perception what other perceptions have to be adopted or what other actual things as he said with with actual programs to be implemented that will yeah. cause some kind of thing is is all like uh you know to prevent against ecological degradation so you know you mm -hmm. have to invest in 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 the small man then right mm -hmm. which is against the whole model of how things are right you invent you mm -hmm. invest in a large scale but you have to invest in the small farmer you have to invest in the parlor people you have to give people an incentive to not destroy the the environment the immediate environment right and right. start a movement from a you know like a grassroots movement right and at the end of the day too a lot mm. of it is about awareness and about a, a realistic situation and say hey what now okay all right if you are worried about where your next meal is coming from and we have 200 million us we will help you provide a meal for you right if mm. you agree to protect this piece of land Right. And mm -hmm. instead of cutting down this piece of forest in this uh, reserve, we have already, you know, say, all right, this is a reserve. We will we will compensate you then. We will compensate you for housing a, a, a caiman in your in your in your in your drain. You understand? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah. Don't but, kill it. Don't eat it. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we will get something. We will get something that we could get, you know, a little different to the actual wild animal that we're trying to get to stay in the ecosystem right now. You know, that, that yeah, kind of yeah. thing, you know. The overhunting, all of that. Um and, yeah, and but look, all of those things are very, are, are very small issues in the grand scheme of things. There are a lot of other bigger um, things to consider too. Yeah, go ahead. Manek like Muxar like Muks bringing up serious, serious things here where we reach with eco yeah, and human friendly one. batteries for renewable energy systems. You know, these kind of things, these, good, these are all things yeah. that you hear about, but it's so foreign to our um, day to day understanding. I mean, I guess, no, like, but... like, what, what, what? Yeah, no, it so last week I actually saw a report, uh, a, a, a local student had done it, where they were talking about an attempt from ETEC in the early days to do a solar park. And this is a very serious thing. We're right now on one of ETEC, um, 
uh, I think it's Waterloo campus, not not Waterloo, mm-hmm. Mausica, and in Mausica campus, it actually have open fields right now of solar PV cells just abandoned. And they say that mm-hmm. no one knows how to dispose of it. So it's actually yeah. like a huge problem. So this way right. you're talking about is like a real problem that facing Trinidad and that Trinidad and Tobago and the Caribbean that, you know, if you ha- if you decide to go solar, and I mean, we know we're going to have the renewable energy episode later on, but a big thing that we had to address on that is, you know, the technology behind solar um, batteries is a serious one because it ties back to the same thing that Faraz was talking about in terms of the sustainable um, acquisition of the material for it now that is just mining to make these lithium-ion batteries, which almost just as bad as, as that. And when it's come time to dispose, I mean, Omar, do they have any kind of technology on how to dispose of these things? You mean globally? Yeah, and anywhere, you know what I mean? Anything. Uh, well, I mean, I, I honestly can't answer that with any sort of level of... Because of we just can't burn it, right? I mean... Yeah. Well, no, I and I mean, even even before we get there, I mean, there's a whole... There's a whole heap of human rights issues tied to the, the mining of these things as well. I mean, there's a lot of horror stories about children, for three, four years old, mining cobalt to 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 put in your um, complete electric car. <laughs> so you're buying an electric right. car, feeling good about yourself, but you have a five-year-old mm. um, mining the the cobalt. So. Yeah. Again, again, like I think Butch was saying, it it, it have no binary to it. You're gonna have yeah, right. you have you'll have issues either way. Um, but I think it's important to talk about it. So you can't just fool yourself and thinking I do it. I do. I'm I'm the savior of everything because I drive an electric car and I buy a reusable bottle <laughs> or whatever and boil them over. Right. Um, so you're yeah. always going to have some kind of trade off, something negative happening. Um, but I mean, I, mem- I remember seeing something where they were doing, um, they were trying to create a circular economy, which is this closed loop system idea. Um, I, I, I see, I remember somewhere they were trying to create a circular economy model for renewable energy batteries, but I can't honestly can't remember where that's um, where that's at. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw a question there from Izu the Guns on that we have wave power and nuclear. <laughs> So nuclear power, fellas, I mean, that is a serious one. So let me talk about wave power, um, uh, because I would have actually studied that. I did uh, postgrad studies on coastal engineering, right? Uh, a lot of study has been done on the potential of the Caribbean to do uh, wave power generation. And apparently, uh, wave power generation could only be done on areas with large tidal ranges. Tidal ranges meaning we have diurnal tides, so it's from... Uh, you have a high tide, two high tides and two low tides and whatnot. And basically, the difference between the two, what is the difference on the, on the beach width? So that would be how your swell actually moves, and that actually moves the rotors of the wave of the wave power machines. And in Trinidad and Tobago in particular, we have very low tidal ranges, so we don't really have much potential for wave power here, as opposed to places off the island of... Um, Oxnack, Oxnack, I, I think, uh, off of off of the Isle of Wight in Britain, where they have those wave power um, mm-hmm. equipment and so on. But over there, they have massive tidal ranges and whatnot. 
nuclear. I think we, we definitely nuclear. into that for the renewable energy episode, Kata, because that, yeah. I mean, Fukushima that will nuclear. That nuclear. That will be nuclear. That will be nuclear. You know, we're going to talk about that, you know? We're going to go nuclear with that one. But, um, you know. Oh, um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I just want to say one thing. Yeah. Um, you mm -hmm. know, like, mm -hmm. if how much we've considered in things like indigenous knowledge in, in terms of the climate emergency that we're in right now. You know, um, uh -huh. because a lot of that in indigenous knowledge was wiped out um, mm -hmm. in the whole the whole process of colonization and so on yeah right. well i mean when it comes to that 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 long gone because those those that since they, yeah. they all they they died with, with their culture with their knowledge and everything now right you but know what i mean are, there are there are some um sections that remain you know and there are mm -hmm. Um, indigenous elders speaking up in especially mm -hmm. in south america definitely yeah um, you know like what the trying to to really like impart their knowledge of how to interact with the earth right and the, and the mm -hmm. earth as an organism and the whole the universe as an organism and that oneness with with that with that planet you know um you know and they they believe many different things that from from what we are, uh, are told that we have to believe in a western world for example um, you don't mine the earth, right? You don't right. dig into the earth and you don't remove anything from the earth. If the earth has to give you something, it will it will well it up at its surface. Yeah. And you should not have to yeah. dig for it. You understand? Like simple and, things and, like that. Yeah. And I'll tell you how important that is for us. Actually, in the coming month or two, uh, I'll be coming up on another podcast that I'm going to start, but from out here in Micronesia. And the title of the podcast is Wave Pilots. And the wave pilots is exactly what you talk about, um, Faraz, where apparently in uh, ancient um, Polynesia, they had these guys called the wave pilots who actually used to navigate from, they're, they're basically master wave finders. And they used to navigate, they had this guy called the wave pilot, and he used to navigate from place to place just from feeling the waves. So he would actually lie down in the boat and feel where the wave coming from and actually direct the boat hunting from there. So, I mean, that is, that is an example of the indigenous heights now. Yeah. You know? That's how, so, how and it, it have a lot of that. Yeah, it have a lot mm -hmm. of that in the islands that I think we had to tap into to enforce some of the solutions we're talking about yeah. in the future now. Because where would the civilization we live in is very, very, very far removed from anything like that. Nah. So it, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, a, it's going to be... Um, uh, a process that will take years and years, but again, with Farah's analogy, the breaks and so on, and and lifting the foot of the gas and thing, and the perceptions, as you say, what is what is a forest? You know, the understanding of nature. You know, we have a long way to go, but it is it is very very relevant. And I would like to thank everybody. We are coming up on a a, a one to the five minutes here or so, and uh, we're going to look to close off. Um, I know you know some people back might be hurting them and thing and the fingers, some of them fingers <laughs> hurting too, but they can't stop typing, you know. And we thank mm. you guys for that. We thank you guys for all the comments tonight. Good night, Andre. Good to see you at this eleventh mm. hour. Um <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you know, I wanna tag Omar um for joining us today from the from the Copper Foundation. Omar, just in a, a succinctly tell us about the, the Copper Foundation and closing remarks and that's what the Copper Foundation does and thing. So people could know yeah. when they hear the name. Yeah, so we are a nonprofit. We've been around for 21 years. 
Um, mm -hmm. We work primarily on environmental and sustainability issues in the Caribbean. We believe very heavily on in Caribbean solutions for Caribbean problems. Um, <laughs> <for me>. um, <laughs> so we, we, do a, we do a lot of technical work um, mm -hmm. on ecosystem science, but we also mm -hmm. do a lot of work with, with communities and civil society mm -hmm. groups, trying to get them activated, supporting them on standing up for their, their rights. Um, and we're also getting into some more high-tech things around data science and technology. We're trying to double with things like AI for agriculture and mapping carbon right. emissions and all that kind of nice stuff. Mm, right. um, so yeah, so that that's basically what we nice. do in a nutshell. Well, we'll bring you on, Mr. AI Dennis, back to talk about yes, 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 yes. Talk some heights yeah. on that. That's not like a big one. Dennis, Dennis, on too much of a higher height. Right, Ad Faraz, brother, any closing remarks on your end? Um, there's just uh, so much to, to talk about this, yeah. this this whole issue, yeah. So we probably need a whole other episode, but yeah, definitely. I already come on the episode twice yeah. already, so I feel it might be a. No, nah, well, I mean, I mean, no. you know, you know, you come three times actually vibes. already. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but you can come anytime, brother. You can come anytime, yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. Right. Really? Thank you so much for coming through, brother. Um, Lessie and, Tor and Torian, thank you guys for uh, for the for all the insight and all the the time and so on for today's episode. Torian, if we could see you on the screen for a second, it would be nice, you know, because people mm. just always tell me we didn't have you on the screen and it was um, Torian wasn't here. Yes, my brother. So Torian is here. Yeah. Where Torian? Where Torian? You know, you are the reason people come to watch your show, right? To see your face. I know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so from so from every Torian, queue up, queue up a track if you have it now. Nah. You have any track there for one me? One second, one second. Yeah. So from all of us here, um, in the high room tonight, we, well, we are going to have some usual cutting edge episodes coming up. I am in in the search right now for the flat earther. Okay. Um, I put it out on Facebook today. A lot of people. You know, reacted and 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 they put in their laugh face and thing. What them and it's serious business with the flattered guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's serious serious. Business. So you know, we will find him or her, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. when we do, we will we'll be enlightened, right? Because mm -hmm. you know, in the high mm -hmm. room, we all about accepting everybody's different point of views and right. putting it out there and seeing how we can come to some kind of understanding. So from all of us in the high room, we want to say. Thank you for tuning in. We want to also say once again, rest in peace to Brother Resistance, one of the most important artists to come out of Trinidad and Tobago. And Torian, run the track. Oh, oh God! And the human can't see the way. Hey, I wake up in the morning.